Now, as we look at this passage that God has brought us to in uh, Luke chapter 11, and as I said, we'll be here for a couple of weeks. And uh, I want to begin just to sharing with you some insights the Lord's giving me from this passage and also be able to pick those up and as we continue in the passage next week. But notice here in verse 1, what Jesus says about prayer is prompted because someone came to him with a request. Look, if you would, at verse 1. A disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, this does not mean that Jesus' disciples were not uh, men of prayer and women of prayer. Certainly they prayed, but they did not understand prayer or experience prayer in the same way they saw demonstrated by their master, the Lord Jesus. And so seeing the depth of his prayer life and how important it was to him, this disciple came and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Then in response, and you'll find it in your Bible, beginning at verse 2, all the way through verse 13, this passage that we'll look at this morning and the next, couple, uh, next week, is Jesus gives some of his clearest teaching and encouragement and enlightenment about prayer that's found anywhere in the Word of God. In these few verses, verses 2 through 13, it's the Lord's answer on how to pray. And it's the Lord's guidance on how to pray. And so this morning, what I want us to do is listen to Jesus' response to this request. Teach us to pray under this theme, praying like the king. Praying like the king. We are followers of the king and he's being revealed as the king. We need to learn to pray like the king. Now certainly in one sense, we understand we cannot pray as Jesus prayed. As sinful human beings, we don't have the depth of the relationship the eternal son of God had with the father. So we can't pray as much as or as well as we're all the depth that Jesus prayed. That's not what he is saying. But we can pray according to his guidance, his understanding. We can follow his example. Now you'll notice as he begins to teach his disciples in and teach us how to pray, in one sense we recognize we can't pray exactly with the same depth that the Lord Jesus prayed. And also in another sense, uh, Jesus could not pray some of this prayer he's going to teach. Uh, you will see that as he teaches this model of prayer, he says that we need forgiveness of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And certainly the Lord Jesus could not pray that for himself because he was sinless as the Son of God. So this prayer that we're looking at as a guide is in reality, friends, not the Lord's Prayer, as we generally refer to it, but we actually see it as a model prayer, or we could say it's the disciples' prayer. Because it's not the prayer that the Lord offers, it's the prayer that He guides us to follow as disciples in our praying. Now, it's very clear that Jesus 
taught many lessons about prayer. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus taught many lessons about prayer. And we see this because he sometimes repeated himself in different ways, teaching the same principles with different words. And we're familiar with some of his most famous statements about prayer, especially those that are in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus talked about prayer. And in Matthew 6, he taught that classic Lord's Prayer model that we're so familiar with. But here we see that Jesus returned to that teaching on prayer many times and made applications of it. And so this morning, what we want to see is how important and how much the Lord encourages us about prayer. Now, one thing we need to realize, Satan hates prayer. As much as you want to pray, there's somebody who even more wants you not to pray. There is nothing that Satan fears as much as he fears the prayers of God's people. Why? Because if we don't know the power of prayer, the devil does. He knows the power of prayer. He hates prayer. And so because of that, he wants to keep us from praying. If he can keep us from doing anything, he wants to keep us from praying. And if he can't keep us from praying... He wants to make our prayers ineffective. You see, Satan may recognize that we're going to pray. But if we pray in an ineffective way, then it still is not a great danger to him or his kingdom. So in teaching his disciples how to pray, I want you, before we get into this text, to recognize that Jesus said it's very important to know how not to pray. <laughs> Jesus gave two things about how not to pray. First of all, Jesus said in Matthew chapters 5 and 6, He said, don't pray like the heathen. Don't pray like the heathen. He said, don't use vain repetition. Vain repetition, empty phrases, ideas, don't just babble. This means when you pray, don't disconnect your mind. Some people have the idea that when you're really praying in the Spirit, that your mind is disconnected and you're just saying words and you have no understanding whatsoever. That is absolutely contrary to Scripture. The Bible tells us, that vain words and repetition and babblings where the mind is not connected, that is not the kind of prayer that is to characterize the family of God. That's what characterizes a heathen. My friend, listen, you can travel today to other parts of the world. I've been there in the last year and a half and listen to people pray vain repetitions with all their heart and force. It is a prayer without understanding. The Lord says, don't pray like the heathen. But then secondly, the Lord also said, don't pray like the hypocrites. <laughs> don't pray like the hypocrites. How do hypocrites pray? Jesus said they pray 
so they might be seen of people. They go through great motions and they want people to see that they pray. They want to be thought of people as people of prayer. And so they're not really doing it for the Lord. They're doing it for themselves because they want others to see. And the Lord says, don't pray like the hypocrites. What's a hypocritical prayer? A hypocritical prayer is when your heart is not engaged. See, a heathen prayer is when your mind is not engaged. A hypocritical prayer is when your heart, your spirit, is really not engaged in what you're saying. You're just reciting words. You're just saying phrases. And the words and the phrases may be very biblical, theologically actual, uh, accurate, scriptural words, but your heart's not connected to those words, and that is hypocritical prayer. This is what the Lord says, I don't want you to do. And friend, this is a great danger. I remember many years ago, when I was in college, and some of you are thinking that it was indeed many years ago, and it was. But when I went to college, I'd only been a Christian six or seven months. I went to a Christian college, and we had chapel four days a week. And every chapel began with two things. First of all, it began with a statement of faith, the university creed, which we memorized and we recited together. It's a short statement of faith, the creed. Then the entire student body prayed the Lord's Prayer. And at that time, there would be 6,000 or more, including faculty, maybe up to 7,000 people that would be praying the Lord's Prayer. And this was something that the university that I attended had done for nearly 50 years in every chapel they had prayed the Lord's Prayer. And it was either in my freshman or my sophomore year. You know what happened? They stopped that. They stopped praying the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because there was a concern that so many of us as students, four times a week, week after week, were saying the words, but our heart wasn't engaged. Our mind wasn't engaged. And so even after all those years of tradition, they said, you know, we need to make sure the prayer is engaging of mind and heart as we gather here in chapel. And I remember that change that took place. Friends, what I want to say to you is no matter what our practices have been in prayer, now no longer, no matter how long we've had very good traditions in our prayer, it's always important to keep them fresh. It's always important to make sure prayer does not become something that is rote and mundane, but that it is a real living communication, mind and heart with our Creator, Savior, and Heavenly Father. That's prayer. And the Lord, knowing how important that is and how powerful it is, he wants us to know how to pray. Now, Jesus wants us to know how much God desires us to pray and how much he delights in our prayers. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I've determined I'm not going to run through this passage. It's familiar to some of us. We've heard it since the very first 
days of our life when we were taken to church. But we need to come back and understand something about prayer and the privilege of prayer. Our God desires more than we could ever imagine that we pray to Him. And our God delights in our prayers. They are great joy to His divine heart that His people speak with Him in prayer. And one of the things the Lord Jesus taught His disciples then and He is teaching us now is to encourage us about how God desires us to pray to pray, and how He delights in our prayer. Now that's what Jesus is doing. He's encouraging His disciples. He's encouraging us now by His Holy Spirit. He wants to encourage me. He wants to encourage the people in this room. He wants to encourage you about how much God desires you to pray and how much He delights in your prayer. Now here's how Jesus encouraged his disciples. Just in case you're a little nervous, that was all just introduction, okay? And that's the reason I need two, need two weeks. Some of the people back in the video room were saying, oh my word, this will go on forever, all right? I promise you it won't, uh, but it'll go on for a while. Now, number one, the Lord says he wants us to enter the presence of your father. He wants you to enter the presence of your father. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father. When you pray, say, Father. Now, I want us to begin right now with a sila moment. What does sila mean when you see it at the end of a psalm in your Bible? Sila is a Hebrew expression which has the idea of stop, pause, meditate. It's intended to be there so that you just don't rush on to the next stanza of the song, so to speak. But you stop, pause, and meditate about what you just read or heard. And so let's have a Sila moment here right now. Jesus said... When you pray, say, Father, Father. Now I want us to consider two amazing things that Jesus is communicating here. Two amazing things. I want us to be dumbfounded by it if it has become routine to us. To call God Father, because this, my friends, is an amazing revelation. When Jesus said to us, when we pray to say, Father, that was an amazing revelation. Listen carefully, because no one had ever referred to the God of Israel as Father. Never. Abraham didn't. Isaac didn't. Jacob didn't. None of the prophets, the kings, ever referred to God as Father. He was considered and referenced as Father of the nation. But never did any of the saints 
in what we call the Old Covenant think of God as their personal Father. And the word Father here is intimate. It's like the word Dad for us, or even Daddy. When you talk to God, Jesus said, say, Father. Father. Jesus never referred to God by any other term than Father, except one time. And that was when he was on the cross, bearing our sins, becoming the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In that moment, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But other than that moment, Jesus never referred to God as anything but Father. And he says to you and he says to me, you can call him Father too. Now friend, that's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Someone as well said, if you want to know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in one word, it's this word, Father. Knowing God as your personal Father, knowing what it means to be a daughter or son of God, is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. <laughs> Incredible. It's an unprecedented reference here. No one ever said this, but Jesus taught us to say it. Secondly, this is an unimaginable reality. <laughs> you see, when Jesus said, call God Father, He's, he's not articulating something that's not real. It's absolutely real. It's unimaginable, but it's real. <laughs> How many of us know things that at one time were unimaginable to us are now real every day? Every day. Susan and I laugh about this all the time. We use technology every day that we couldn't have imagined a few decades ago, but it's reality. What's the reality that needs to grip our hearts, brothers and sisters? This reality. Even John, who put his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, never got over the wonder of it all. And when he was 90, almost 90 years of age, here's what that old man, that warm-hearted follower of Jesus said, he said this, 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. It's not just that we're called God's children. Friends, we are God's children. We don't just say Father. It's reality. He is our Father. God is our Father. And Jesus says, when you come to Him, come to Him as Father. Say to Him, Father. Now, friend, in order to call God Father, one thing I will add. You've got to be a member of the family. Friends, put this out of your mind. It's very popular, but it's completely untrue. God is not the father of all people. God is the creator of all people. He is the maker of all people. But God is not father, family related 
to all people. He is only Father to those who have spiritually been born into His family. That's the reason Jesus told Nicodemus, a man more religious than any of us, He said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot enter this family of God unless you're born again. You may have had a physical birth, which, yes, the Creator, God, caused. But you now, having been born as a sinner and living a life of sin, you need to be born again, a spiritual birth. And how does that happen? What do you have to do for that to happen? Nothing at all, my friend. You don't have to do anything. It's been done. It's been done by Jesus Christ. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. And you can come into the family of God when you come by faith to the Son, Jesus Christ. When you have faith, that is when your trust is in Jesus Christ alone, who died for your sins, who was buried, and you believe in all your heart for your salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, when you believe, you trust in him, you are born again. And God is your father. God is becomes your father. Now, friend, I want to ask you, I must ask you, do you know that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know that you have been born again? Not that you are living as you ought to live. Not that you are as committed as you should be. But what is your hope? Is your hope in eternity? Is your hope for your salvation and deliverance from hell only in Jesus Christ? If He is your hope, if He is your Savior in your heart, then God is your Father. Isn't it wonderful? Now, right now, if you've never come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, I beg you in Jesus' name to do it right now. This very moment, don't you think about waiting another hour. Don't you think, I'll consider it. Please do not say, I'll try to do better. You can't. Don't say, I'll wait until I can make the commitment and keep it. You cannot keep it. It is grace. Come, desperately needy of salvation, to a Savior whose arms are open. And friend, you will be born again now, this moment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that's what empowers prayer. The gospel that through Jesus, creator God is my spiritual dad. He's my father. And not only is that an amazing revelation, it's also with it an amazing invitation. An amazing invitation. Jesus said this so that we would treasure our prayers. Jesus said, come to God and say, Father. Come to your Father. You know what that means? God, your Father, through faith in Jesus, is never 
too busy. <laughs> Think of what God's got to do every moment. <laughs> but he's never too busy. You're not interrupting him. You're never interrupting God. He's never too busy. He's your father. This is the invitation. Jesus said, come. I was smiling again this week while I thought about this. I've shared the illustration before. Many of you have heard it. If I live and you stay longer, you'll probably hear it again. <laughs> because I like telling it. But since 1995 or so, I've had a room in our house that's been my place of study, place of prayer. And when the children were very little, had to help Ruth and Stephen and Jessica understand that when I went in there, that that had to do with my uh, work as a pastor. Also, I went in there to pray and read the Word of God. And the kids, you know, they would know I was in the house. They'd want to be there. So I had to help them understand this. But I also never wanted to be uh, the secluded pastor, you know. So I said, here's what I want you to understand. If you come and the door's closed and you look underneath the door and you see the light on, that means Dad's in there and I'm working in there, but you can come on in if you see the light on. But if you come to the door and you see the light's not on, the door's shut and the light's not on, that means that Dad is talking to God. And unless it's an emergency, I'd, I'd prefer you'd wait until I was finished talking with God. Now, if it's an emergency, kids, if something's going very wrong, you come on in. God will understand. But I can still remember, especially when Stephen and Ruth were little, and uh, they'd come down there, and I could hear them at the bottom of that door. And I could hear them talking, saying, do you see the light on? Is the light on? Is the light on? I don't know. And for Stephen, the light was always on, it seemed like. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. With your Heavenly Father, the light is always on. And with your Heavenly Father, the door is always open. <laughs> We're not just allowed to come in. You know what Jesus said? You're invited to come in. You're invited to come in. Friends, we need to get our minds around this incredible privilege that our King Jesus opened the door when he did cry out on the cross, it is finished. Do you remember what happened that moment in the temple? That that huge curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, where no one could go but the high priest and only he, one day a year on the day of atonement, taking a sacrifice of blood for his sins and for the sins of the people, that was where God was understood to dwell with his people. And everything about the temple as he was worshipped said, you cannot come in here. Why? Because the perfect sacrifice has not been made. These lambs cannot take away your sins. These goats cannot take away your sins. There must be the perfect lamb who will die and give his precious blood as an atonement. And that will be the one lasting eternal sacrifice. And when Jesus breathed his last and cried out, it is finished. 
that veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom and thrown back. (laughs) And what was God saying? Now you can come. Now you are welcome because you come to me through the merit of my son. You come to me in his name and he has made a way whereby now we are restored. My children can come back to Eden because the lamb has been slain. Jesus has opened the door. And friends, isn't it wonderful? Jesus is the door. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the door by me. If anyone enters in, he shall be saved. You see, when we go to the Lord in prayer, when we go to God in prayer, and we go with our only confidence in Jesus, we're going not in our own merit, but in the merit of the one who said it is finished, who made the way a living way, And we are going with the blessing of the one who not only opened the door, but he is the door. Friends, I want you to know, God says, come on in. You're welcome. You're welcome through my son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come to my father. And as you come, remember, he's your father too. I pray this will grip us about our prayer life. One other thing I'd like to share with you this morning. The Lord encourages by saying, enter the presence of your Father. But what do you do as you enter the presence of the Father? As you enter into His presence, what's the priority according to Jesus? Look at verse 2. And He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed, holy, I reverence your holy name. We come in prayer to extol extol the praise of your Father. You extol the praise of your Father. Now I'm going to use in this message a couple of words that are a little bit uh, out of date, but they're never out of season for Christians. We need to know these words. We are told that we need to come to the Lord and we need to extol Him. What does extol mean? Extol means to exalt in praise. That's what it means. When you extol God, you exalt Him in your praise. That's what it means to extol Him. And my friends, listen to me, praising God is never out of fashion, it's never out of season. It's always a good time to praise the Lord, to offer Him our praise. Now, why did Jesus begin here? It's a question. Why did Jesus begin, hallowed be your name? Why did Jesus begin here? Why in teaching us to pray? Now, remember, He's teaching us to pray. And He's encouraging us that the Father desires our prayers, and he delights in our prayers. But what is the primary and first purpose of prayer? The first primary purpose of prayer is to praise God, is to praise his name. Why? Because praise is the highest purpose of life. 
What's the highest purpose of life? The highest purpose of life is, as Paul said, to be to the praise of the glory of His grace. The most important thing an image bearer of God can do, who has been renewed by the saving grace of Jesus, the most important thing for you to do, for me to do, is to praise God. Is to praise the Lord. And so we bring that in prayer. The first thing on our minds, and many times it should be, the first things on our lips should be praise of the Lord. Father, holy, hallowed is your name. Praise is the highest purpose of life. Secondly, praise is the highest purpose of language. What's the greatest purpose that you can put language to? It is to the praise of God. What's the Bible say? Let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. God's given you the breath of life in your lungs. He allows that breath to come up through your trachea to cross those vocal cords for ideas to be formed, for the breath of your very life to send out expressions of the praise of God. The greatest purpose of any language is the praise of the Lord. The third thing that makes praise so important is praise is the highest purpose of learning. It's the highest purpose of learning. I hope you understand the difference between education and enlightenment. A lot of people get educated, but they never get enlightened. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if your education does not bring you to spiritual enlightenment, then your education is just a vehicle for spiritual darkness. You can become wise in the world and become a fool to God. What is the goal of education, true education? Listen to me, moms and dads. Listen to me, grandparents. Listen to me, every educator. The purpose of true education is to see God in all things. That is enlightenment. To see God in all things. To have a worldview and to have an eternal perspective that sees God in all things. This is to be enlightened. This is to truly be educated. So what does prayer do? Think about this. Prayer brings your life. Prayer brings your language. Prayer brings your learning all to praise of God. You're in God's presence. And the things of your life, you turn to praise. You take your language, you turn it to praise. You take the things that you're learning about Him and you offer back as praise. This is what makes prayer worship. Hallowed be thy name. Friend, I want to tell you, what is heaven going to be? 
I tell you what heaven's going to be. Heaven is going to be the restoration of paradise. It's going to be the restoration of paradise when, freed from all the limitations of this body, freed from all the pull of sin, freed from all of the temptations of the world and all the frailties of this age in which we live, that through the cycling ages of eternity, all of our life, all of our learning, all of our language will constantly be experiencing and expressing the praise of God. That is what heaven is going to be. Not that we're just going to sit around with halos over our heads and, and strum on a harp and, and, and sing anthems. No, heaven is going to be when you're fully alive and everything about your life going through eternity, everything that you're learning, and you'll be constantly learning about God through eternity, and all the language that you'll have the ability to share and to share with others will be the praise of God. Now, friends, that will be heaven indeed, right? That will be heaven indeed. But now let me tell you what heaven's going to be like we need to practice here on earth. We need to practice. If we're going to be praising God in heaven, we need to start practicing here on earth. And I want to ask you the question, how often do we just praise the Lord? How often do we come to Him and we just want to praise Him? We want to bless Him. We want to offer our love, our adoration. How often is that prayer truly a prayer of praise? Now, friend, do not misunderstand what I'm about to say. God wants you to bring your needs to Him. God wants you to bring your concerns to Him, your cares to Him. He says, cast your cares on Him. He invites us to come weary, worn down, come as we are. Come with our fears. Come with our anxieties. Yes, yes. Come with our needs. Yes. But friends, if we're not careful, our own prayers can depress us. Our prayers depress us because all we hear our voice say in prayer is a bunch of negative things. Friend, this is a tactic of the enemy. Listen to me, dear brother Christian. I know you love Jesus. But if you're not careful, prayer will depress you. Because the only thing you do is bring your problems to God, your concerns to God. When do you bring your thanks to God? When do you just have a verse of scripture that grips your heart that you just take it to the Lord and exalt Him for who He is? When do you not ask for anything, but you just offer praise to Him? When, when does your language become a vehicle for the incense of worship? Oh friend, this is what Jesus is 
teaching us, not because God needs anything from us. He doesn't need anything. But the best thing God can do for us, listen carefully what I'm about to say, the best thing God can do for you is to let you worship Him. Because He is the greatest good. He is the only true good. And to allow you into His presence and to praise Him and to give thanks for Him and to call out your offering of love to Him. God is exalted in that. But my friend, you are transformed by that. The most powerful thing you can do, the most powerful prayer life you can have is to praise the name of our Father through Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. We'll continue with this passage, but as our heads are bowed, I asked Doug to be ready to do this. I thought I might be farther along in the message, but we'll do it next week as well because many of us know this passage as the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to sing that together. But before we do, let me reach out, if I might, in the Spirit and in love. Please don't be distracted. Please don't leave. Please don't get focused on something else. God has us in His presence. Wherever you are, God is. Wherever you are right now, God is. Now, enter His presence with praise. Call Him Father. <laughs> Call Him Father. And call out to Him the glory of His worth, the glory of His salvation. Thanks for who He is and all He's done. Lift up His name. And my friend, that prayer changes not just things, but it changes you. More important than prayer changing things is prayer changing me. And my friend, listen carefully. You cannot enter the presence of God and come away the same. He will do a transforming work in your life in His presence. Lord God, Blessed Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us how much you desire us to pray, Father. How much you delight for us to pray. And Lord, teach us the treasure of what prayer really is. Communion with our blessed Father through our Savior, Jesus.